Lesson number six of the Elements of Mammalogy. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nathan Bryseth. The Elements of Mammalogy by William Ruschenberger. Lesson number six, part one. Continuation of the Order Carnaria. Family of Carnivora. In its most general acceptation, the word carnivorous belongs to all animals that feed upon flesh, but naturalists give to this word a more limited signification, and only apply it to this family of mammalia of the order Carnaria, which includes bats, hyenas, martens, dogs, etc., and which is easily distinguished by the existence of teeth for tearing and cutting flesh. In these animals, which generally possess great strength, the jaws are stout, and each one is armed with two long, stout, separated canine teeth, and between these are placed six incisors. Sometimes the molar teeth are all trenchant, sometimes they are mingled, some having blunt tubercles, but they never have conical points, as in the insectivora. One of the great molars is ordinarily much larger and more trenchant than the others and bears the name of carnivorous tooth. Behind it are one or two, almost flat, which are called tuberculose. And between it and the canines, a variable number of false molars. The form and disposition of these teeth are in relation to the more or less carnivorous habits of these animals. Those that live most exclusively on prey have the teeth most trenchant and the jaws shortest, which increases their power, while those that feed on vegetable substances, as well as on flesh, have the molars for the most part tuberculous. By the proportion of these trenchant and tuberculous teeth, we can judge of the more or less carnivorous nature of their diet. Animals of this family generally have the paws armed with hooked nails, suitable for holding or even tearing their prey. It is to be remarked also that they are almost entirely without clavicles. But the form of their extremities varies a great deal and is in relation to the difference in their mode of progression, which is not less great. According to these characters, the carnivora are divided into the three following tribes, plantigrata, digitigrata, and amphibia. Tribe of plantigrata. It is the zoological character of this tribe to have five toes on all the feet, and, when the animal walks or stands, to rest the entire soul upon the earth, which affords him a broad base of support and greater facility of standing up on his hind feet. All the motions of the plantigrades are dull. Like the insectivora, they are subterraneous and nocturnal in their habits, and in cold countries pass the winter in a state of lethargy or hibernation. The most remarkable genera of this tribe are the bears, raccoons, badgers, and gluttons which may be recognized by the following characters. Bears are large animals with stout bodies, thick extremities, and short tail. Their gait is very dull, but they possess prodigious strength and considerable intelligence. The formation of their extremities, little adapted for running, enables them to keep erect on their hind feet and quickly climb trees, which they embrace between their paws. Some of them are also very good swimmers, and they are indebted for this quality, in a measure, to the quantity of fat with which their bodies are loaded, 
Of all the carnivora, their organization least requires them to feed on flesh, and their diet is least carnivorous. In fact, the structure of their teeth, almost entirely tuberculous, is more favorable for grinding roots and fruits than for tearing and cutting flesh. Hence, they are omnivorous. They eat both animal and vegetable substances, but the last constitute their habitual food. They love roots and fruits, but have a most decided preference for honey, which they will seek in the midst of a hive without much regarding the sting of the bees, being protected by the hard skin and thick hair with which they are covered. Most of the bears live in great forests, but there is one species that inhabits the coasts and ice of the polar seas. The first establish their abodes in caverns or in dens, which they dig with their strong and hooked nails. In winter they sleep in their retreats, and when the cold is severe, pass the whole of this season in a profound lethargy. During the period of hibernation they take no nourishment, but seem to depend upon the fat with which they abound in the autumn for their existence, so that when they leave their retreats they are extremely thin. Prudence is the chief feature in the character of the bear. Whenever he can, he retires from what he is unacquainted with, and when forced to approach it, he does so very slowly and with great circumspection. Yet he does not want courage, and does not seem to be susceptible of fear. He is never known to run. He opposes strength to strength, and when his life is threatened, or his young in danger, his fury and his efforts become terrible. The fur of these animals is thick, and composed of long shining hair. It is much sought, and forms an important article of commerce. In the winter, and in the coldest countries, it is most beautiful. Therefore, it is at this season they are most actively hunted. Most of the bearskins used are from the north of Russia and America. Since they have been employed for making or adorning military caps, three or four thousand are annually consumed in France. Bears are found in all parts of the world, and in every latitude except South Africa and Australia. There are several species, the chief of which are First, the brown bear, Ursus arctos. It is this species that the mountebanks in France train for their exhibitions. This animal may attain a length of four or five feet. His height, when standing on all his feet, does not exceed three feet. His hair, thick and tufted, except on the muzzle and paws where it is black, is chestnut brown on the shoulders, back, thighs, and legs, yellowish on the sides of the head, ears, and flanks. It is common in the Alps, and is found in all the high mountains and great forests of Europe. It lives solitary, and ordinarily does not attack man except when provoked. But then he becomes very formidable, and strives to crush his antagonist beneath his feet, or strangle him in the embrace of his paws. Second, the white bear. Ursus maritimus is easily distinguished by his form and by the color of his coat. He is low on his legs, his body, his neck, and especially his head, are more elongated than in any other species of this genus. Lastly, the interior of his mouth is entirely black. This animal inhabits the glacial regions of the northern hemisphere. It feeds on fishes, young amphibia, and young cetacea. Nevertheless, he is not essentially carnivorous, and can very well be brought to live on bread alone. He swims and dives with astonishing facility. White bears are sometimes met in numerous troops, which also distinguishes them from the other bears, 
which are always solitary. But these animals resemble each other in requiring a retreat in winter. For this purpose, they content themselves with some cleft in the rocks, or even a mass of ice. And without preparing any bed, they there lie down, and permit themselves to be buried under enormous masses of ice. They pass in this way, the months of January and February, in a true lethargy. Third, the black bear, Ursus Americanus, lives in forests, feeds on fruits and flesh, is skillful in fishing, and dwells in the hollows of living trees. It is found in all the northern parts of America. In the Rocky Mountains and elevated regions of the Missouri, there is another species, which is much larger, stronger, and fiercer. It is called the grizzly bear, and its fur, which is grayish, is much esteemed. The raccoons, Procyon, very much resemble bears, except that they have a long tail. They have very nearly the same habits as those animals, but are better climbers and more carnivorous. They are of moderate size, and inhabit the forests of America. There is one species which is curious from its singular habit of never eating anything without previously plunging it into water. The badgers, Meles, are nocturnal animals, having a cringing gait, a very short tail, the toes very much enveloped in the skin, and are particularly distinguished by having a pouch situate beneath the tail, from which exudes a fatty, fetid oil. The nails on their forepaws being very long, enables them to dig with great effect. Their hair is long and silky. The common badger, Meles europea, which inhabits the temperate regions of Europe and Asia, and keeps at the bottom of an oblique, tortuous hole, is of the stature of a middle-sized dog. The length of its hair veils its legs, so that its body seems to be raised but little above the earth. Formerly, the hunting of this animal was more followed than in present day, and now it has become very rare in France. It was pursued by terrier dogs, but its jaws, armed with very strong teeth, and its long, powerful nails, enabled it to resist their attacks. It inflicted deep wounds, and defended itself with all its arms, lying on its back. Its skin is employed as coarse fur, and its hair, which cannot be used in the manufacture of felt, is employed for making shaving and other brushes. The gluttons, gulo, resemble the badgers very much, but are more carnivorous. Their name has been derived from an exaggerated notion of the voracity of one species of this genus, the glutton of the north, Ursus gulo, which is said to be very cruel, and to lie in ambush upon a tree, to leap on the backs of large animals upon which it preys. Tribe of Digitagrada The animals of this tribe are distinguished by the conformation of their paws. In place of resting the entire sole of the foot on the ground, and consequently having this part free of hair, they walk on the ends of their toes, with the tarsus raised, and hence their gait is lighter, and their speed greater. They are more exclusively carnivorous than the plantigrades, and their taste for flesh, joined with their fleetness, makes them essentially hunting animals. Their paws are almost always armed with powerful nails or talons, and their jaws are stout, and their molar teeth almost entirely trenchant. The number of small tuberculous teeth, which are found in the back of the mouth, varies, 
and as these differences correspond with their more or less sanguinary disposition, they are taken as the basis of the classification of the digitigrata. These different genera may be distinguished from each other by other characters, which are less important than those furnished by the teeth, but which are more easily remembered. The digitigrades provided with a single tuberculous tooth in each jaw form a small natural group designated under the name of vermiform carnivora on account of their long, lank bodies and short legs. They have five toes on all the feet and exhale an odor more or less strong caused by a liquid which is secreted by two glands situated near the anus. Although of small stature, these animals are very sanguinary and from their lank form they can pass through the smallest apertures. They are divided, as we have already seen, into polecats, martens, skunks, and otters. The polecats, putorius, are the most sanguinary of all. Their head is round, and the short muzzle extends beyond the mouth. The ears are rounded, and much wider than long. The tongue is covered with rough papillae. The coat is well furnished, shining and soft. Their tail is long, and they have glands on each side of the anus which secrete a viscid and fetid matter. Their mode of life is solitary and nocturnal. They are found in both the old and new world. The common polecat, Mustela putorius, is brown with yellowish flanks and white spots on the head, and is from 15 to 18 inches in length, without including the tail, which is 6 inches long. It is the terror of hen-roosts and rabbit warrens. It approaches dwellings, mounts on the roof, and establishes itself in haylofts, in barns, and in places seldom visited, from which it goes forth only at night in search of its prey. It glides into poultry-yards, mounts into dovecots, where without making as much noise as the beech-martin, weasel, it commits more havoc. It cuts or crushes the heads of all the poultry, then carries them off one by one and stores them away. If, as it often happens, the animal cannot carry them off entire, on account of the hole by which he entered being too small, he eats the brains and bears off the heads. It is also very fond of honey. It attacks hives in winter and forces the bees to abandon them. Polecats live on prey in towns and on game in the country. They establish themselves in rabbit burrows, in clefts in rocks, in the trunks of hollow trees, from which they sally only at night to spread over the fields. In the woods, they seek the nests of partridges, of larks, and quails. They also climb trees to prey. They watch for rats, moles, and field mice, and they wage a continual war against rabbits, who cannot escape because they can readily enter their holes. The polecat is found in all the temperate parts of Europe. The ferret, Mustela furo also belongs to the genus of the polecats, and very much resembles the common polecat. Its coat is clear brown or yellowish, its body is more elongated, more delicate, its head narrower, its muzzle more pointed than the polecat. The female is smaller than the male. It is originally from Barbary, it is naturalized in Spain, but in France it is only met with domesticated, and is employed to hunt rabbits in their burrows. This animal, says Buffon, is naturally the mortal enemy of the rabbit. When a rabbit, even dead, is shown to a young ferret that has never seen one, he throws himself upon it, and bites with fury. If living, he seizes it by the neck or the nose and sucks its blood. When let into a rabbit hole, 
it is muzzled, that it may not kill the rabbits at the bottom of the burrow, but only compel them to sally forth and be caught in a net with which it is usual to cover the entrance. The weasel, Mostola vulgaris, is another species of the genus polecat. It is of a chestnut color above, white below, in length about six inches, with an addition of fifteen or eighteen lines for the tail. This animal is very common in temperate climates, and is terrible to hen-roosts, into which its small size enables it to insinuate itself through very narrow openings. When a weasel enters a hen-roost, it does not attack the cocks or old hens, but selects the young hens and chicks, kills them by a simple wound inflicted on the head, and then carries them off one after the other. It also breaks the eggs and sucks their contents with incredible avidity. In winter, it generally dwells in granaries or in barns, frequently remaining there till the spring, to give birth to its young on the hay or straw. During all this time it wages war, more successfully than a cat, against rats and mice, because they cannot escape, as it follows them into their holes. It climbs into dovecots and destroys pigeons, sparrows, etc. In the spring it goes to some distance from habitations, particularly in low places, about mills, along the banks of streams and rivers, and conceals itself in thickets to surprise birds, and often establishes itself in the hollow of an old willow to bring forth its young. We will mention still another species of the genus polecat, called the ermine, Mustela erminia. Its body is about nine inches in length, and the tail about four. This little animal has two coats. In winter it is white, with the tail tipped with black, and bears the name of ermine. During the spring, it is of a beautiful brown above, and yellowish-white below, with the end of the tail always black. It is then the rosalette. It is found in the northern parts of the old and new continent, and though not so common as the weasel in France, it is not rare. It seeks stony countries, and avoids the neighborhood of habitations. The winter skins of this species are very much sought after as fur and form a very considerable article of commerce. But the ermine of the most northern countries is most esteemed, because it is so brilliantly white, while that of temperate climates always retains a yellowish tint. The martens, Mustela, the true weasel, properly so called, resemble the polecats very much, but differ from them in having a muzzle more elongated and a tongue covered with soft pepillae. The numerous species of this genus are scattered over both continents. Among them we will mention the common marten, Mustela martis, brown with a yellow spot on the throat, and of a stature rather larger than that of the beech marten. It lives in the woods of northern Europe, avoiding inhabited places and the open fields. It destroys a great many small quadrupeds and birds. It takes possession of eggs and climbs to the highest branches of trees to dislodge them. It is said to be found also in South America. The beech marten, Mustelefoina, brown, with all the under part of the throat and neck whitish, about sixteen inches in length, besides the tail, which measures eight. It is found in European forests, and often approaches habitations, where it even establishes its abode. But it is a dangerous guest. When it succeeds in obtaining an entrance into a hen-roost, or a pheasant walk, it commences by putting everything to death in its reach, and then bearing all off, piece by piece, to its retreat. It is also voraciously fond of eggs. It seizes rats, mice, moles, and birds in their nests. 
It is also fond of honey and hemp seed. The Sable Martin Mustela zebelina resembles the preceding species in size and color. It differs from the other martins in having hair growing on the undersurface of the toes, which protects them from the cold. Its fur is a valuable article of commerce. It inhabits the most northern parts of Europe and Asia, and abounds most in the mountains of frozen countries, the intense cold of which renders them uninhabitable. As it is the winter coat that is most highly appreciated, the pursuit of the sable is, of all kinds of hunting, the most arduous and perilous. The skunks, Mephitis, are celebrated for the intolerable stench which they diffuse to a great distance. Most of them inhabit America. The otters, Lutra, possess a peculiar physiognomy which prevents them from being confounded with any of the neighboring genera. The head is large and compressed, the body squat, and tongue semi-aspirate. Their toes are armed with short nails and are united in their whole length by a wide and strong membrane which renders these animals good swimmers. The tail is flattened horizontally. Their coat is very thick, formed by two kinds of hairs. The silky, quite long, stout, hard, shining, and thicker at the point than at the base. The woolly, which are shorter and generally more numerous, forming a thick and extremely soft fur. These animals live chiefly upon fish, and inhabit by-places or nooks, which they line with dry grass, on the banks or in the neighborhood of water. They remain concealed during the day, and sally in search of food only at night. Some species are known in almost all parts of the world. The Common Otter Lutra vulgaris About two feet long, tail about one foot in length, brown above, grayish below, and sometimes marked with white spots, lives on the margins of ponds and rivers in different parts of Europe. The Sea Otter Mustela lutris is twice the size of the common otter, and its black coat of the vivid brightness of velvet forms one of the most precious of the furs. The English and the Russians hunt this animal in all parts of the Pacific Ocean, and annually convey a great number of skins to China and Japan. This species inhabits Kamchatka, the most northern parts of America, and the neighboring islands. Most generally, it keeps on the sea coast, and not within reach of fresh water, like the other species. It is said to live in couples. End of Lesson 6 Part 1